0: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the
1: music. Everybody have fun tonight. (laughs) Everybody Wang Chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great! You've probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're
0: stuck in the 80s.
1: (laughs) Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TempeVay.com, and today we talk about college hoops in the 80s. In the With me as always, he's the Raleigh Massimino to my Bob Knight. Times pop music critic Sean Daly.
1: Now this is a topic I can get behind. Forget about Australia in the 80s or any of this other crap. Come on, college hoops, baby.
0: It's March Madness. It's March
1: Madness.
0: That's why we brought in a ringer. Yeah. Because we always have to have a ringer for the sports shows. Uh, Mr. Daly, do the honors.
1: Yes, the great. The award-winning. Are you award-winning? Do you have any awards? Not really. Yeah,
2: a couple of my kids made me. (laughs)
1: Uh, uh, Sports columnist, uh, Tom Jones from the St. Pete Times. The first guy I read in the newspaper every morning.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you you very much. 2C. Absolutely. absolutely. Thank you very much. I uh, I noticed that, um, I mean, you love... College basketball, and you love commentators on college basketball, so you must really be excited this time of year.
2: Exactly, I hung out with Dick Vitale a couple of weeks ago. I
1: love, and didn't I gush? I sent you a letter, well, didn't I, I? I
2: tell you what, and that guy exactly the way he is on the air is the way he is off the air. That wow. guy's, a, I, I love that guy. I mean, he's one of the nicest people you ever meet.
1: Uh, would you say the same thing about Steve and I? Exactly how we are. I'd on say
2: air? one. I'd say the same thing about one of you. <laughs>
1: I got one more question for jonesy real quick about his job jonesy does uh you know he's also a media columnist here. And you write about radio, TV, all this stuff. I really want to know a basic rudimentary question for all these people who read, maybe uh, uh, media columnists in their paper. Uh, how do you watch everything? I mean, how do you always hear something on radio and you catch everything on TV? Is it all by TiVo?
2: No, it's not. I, I, I watch what I watch and, and I write what I watch, but I'm, I'm not going to spend all day watching TV. But I do notice and I, ha- I, I zone in on whatever it is I am watching at the time. So I might only watch a few hours, uh, a couple hours a day. But what I do watch, I'm really paying attention That's to. That's
1: amazing. Anyway, so you came in here today to talk about the the great college basketball moments in the 1980s. 80s, I would say, uh, a magical decade for college hoops, right?
2: Yeah, I think it might be the best decade for college basketball wow. and, and because of some of the things that we're going to get into and, later on.
1: Exactly. And look at some of the people that came out of that uh, Michael Jordan.
0: Before we get too far along, let me ask you this, Tom what were the teams, what were the college teams that dominated in the 80s?
2: Uh, Indiana was won two national championships in that decade. Mm. Bob Knight, Bob Knight was the the, the legendary coach uh, of that team. Uh, Louisville won two national titles.
1: Wow. Purvis and Ellison,
2: Purvis Ellison with
1: nervous Pur- Yeah, that's right.
2: Denny Crum was the was the coach of that team. And we also had like a lot a lot of great teams that didn't win championships. Houston. Uh, had a real good program. Five and Jamma. Five and Jamma. George, they went to actually two, two national finals. at uh, uh, Championship games didn't win either of them. Uh, Georgetown had a good program during mm. the 80s. So really, the, this, was the, this was the decade of the superstar yeah. elite teams, the elite programs who were in the running every year. And for the first time, we were introduced to Mike Krzyzewski as well at Duke.
0: Yeah, and let me ask you a question about Bob Knight. I know a lot of people ask this question. If you had a son who was able to play basketball anywhere in college, would you want him to play for someone like, would you want him to play for Bob Knight?
2: Yes and no. I think ultimately no, because we we constantly talk about how Bob Knight did things the right way, um, and he did. He ran a clean program. His kids went to school. His kids graduated. But he was a jerk, and and I don't think I would want my son playing for a jerk. I think that... that there are other coaches out there who do the things that Knight did and are good guys like Mike Šeshesky or to use a football analogy Joe Paterno. I think he could be a nice guy and do things the right way. I'd rather have him playing for Bob Knight than somebody like uh John Calipari or or yeah. uh back in the old days Jerry Tarkanian, but yeah. but you know, I think Knight did a lot of things that I didn't agree with and I didn't he was a bit of a bully, I thought. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him or interview him? I did. I've talked to him on a conference call once, and, he, and I think he's an excellent broadcaster. He's really good at what he does. I, I always didn't like, though, his disdain for the media when he was not in the media, and now he's a little bit of a nicer guy than he is in the media. I didn't like that hypocrisy. But, you know, overall, if, if my son decided, hey, I do want to go play for Bob Knight, there are a lot worse choices out there.
0: Now these days we're used to March Madness. You have how many teams are in the tournament these days? Sixty eight now. It went up right. to sixty eight now. In the in the eighties, when eighties began, was it was the NCAA tournament the same? Was the, there wasn't 68 No, they teams.
2: no they expanded throughout the eighties and, and into the nineties. But no, they, it was much harder tournament to get into back then, which is why I think you see um, the, the elite programs really dominating in the eighties because there wasn't as many chances for an upset. But it was—it really was a golden decade for basketball. Did they have the shot clock in the eighties? Yeah, they had the shot clock, and and again, they introduced it later uh, in the eighties. But it was a, again, you look at some of the 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 great players were allowed to be great players, and as Sean talked about, we, you, these kids stayed until they were juniors and seniors. Not yeah. like now where they're yeah. leaving after one year.
0: Well, Thomas helped us out. He has picked out what he considers to be uh, five of the most memorable moments in college basketball. Uh, mostly March Madness, but not all of them. And so we're going to go through each one of them here and talk about them, and uh, Tom will give us his expert advice on, on what happened that particular year. Are you ready? The 1985 title game, Villanova upsets Georgetown.
1: He makes this one, then they need that third possession. That's it. Villanova
2: has done it. This, was, this might have been the biggest upset in In the history of college basketball i I know that sounds like a, a big statement right there, but Villanova was an eight seed they were playing georgetown and georgetown patrick ewing yeah monster and monster and and this was that Georgetown team was as good a basketball team as I think as anybody had ever seen they They looked so dominant
1: looming john thompson georgetown coach looming yeah right
2: right and 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 they were coming off of the national championship the year before. So they were going for their second second national title in a row. They were a dominant team, and Villanova just a bunch of little kids. Yeah. I mean, they they really they played a near perfect basketball game. And I think if they'd have played them ten more times, they'd have lost ten more times and, and badly.
0: Here's an interesting question for you: Is it different as a sports writer than you think it is as a sports fan when you see an upset like that happen? I mean, as a sports writer, do you root for the upset? Whereas a fan, maybe you root for the better team to win.
2: No, I think, I think fans root for the upset generally, unless you went to Georgetown or you're a big fan of Georgetown or you hated Villanova. I think everybody was pulling for Villanova to win that game. And that's why it was so special because I think everybody, including sports writers, you're rooting for the best story. And there was no better story than Villanova winning that game. We Everybody went into that game thinking Georgetown yeah, was going to win by
1: 20. David Goliath. Right. And, like, you know, I went to Syracuse and, you know, I went to a lot of games where John Thompson You know, would come in with his Georgetown team. And John Thompson, when he walked onto a, a floor, I mean, it was like Darth Vader. I mean, yeah. John Thompson was – I mean, he's another good coach. And he's, really, a know, good coach
2: and a good guy and, and another guy, guy ran the like, right way. But he was like
1: what? He was like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, yes. a four-player himself. When he walked in, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, it is so looming. So there was kind of a villainous approach to that as well, you know, to, to there, that was, there
2: was. There and, was. And, and you hate to say it, but there was almost a, a racial – thing about it because I was. because I think people were intimidated by John Thompson and I think John Thompson enjoyed intimidating people and I think that that there was it was almost uncomfortable when Georgetown was dominant like that for a lot of white people, because I think again there was a racial element that nobody talked about. But I guarantee, if you ask John Thompson about it, he would he would he would tell you it definitely
1: was there. Oh yeah, well the thing about John Thompson too is that the, the thing was he would never recruit white players, or that's what well, that was the rip against. Yeah, was, and then there'd always be one white player, and it'd be the walk on at the end of the bench. The guy would be like you know five foot eight, just sitting down there looking terrified. But yeah. he, he, I
2: get you know you asked me earlier would I, if I if, if I had my choice, would I have let my son go play for Bob? Later, or John Thompson, I would have picked John, John Thompson, Thompson because I, I think he's a good guy who did things the right way.
0: Interesting. The next moment in our, in our list of the top five uh, favorite moments in college basketball, the 1982 title game featuring a North Carolina win with a freshman named Michael Jordan.
1: A time 18. Shot. Jordan.
2: Michael Jordan. Oh, look, um, look, for, look for Sleepy Floyd. Look oh, at, he's on to the wrong hand. He threw up to
0: worthy.
2: It's over. It's over. This was our introduction to Michael Jordan. Nobody nobody knew and I don't think we even knew then what he was going to become. We knew he was a good player. But Yeah, that's uh, the
1: old joke. Who's the only guy to keep Michael Jordan under twenty points? (laughs) The (laughs) head coach,
2: the head coach of North Carolina who 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 stressed the team game. But this was this was like I said, our introduction to Michael Jordan, and it showed here's I mean, can you imagine eighteen years old and you're taking a shot to win the national title? And then you win it. And then, of course, there was a crazy ending to that game as well.
1: Right. It was uh, Georgetown's Fred (laughs) Brown. Oh, I can't even watch that. Like he passes it to uh, he passes it to, to, J- to J- uh, James Worthy. James Worthy. Oh. Don't you love
0: games though that I came with a catastrophic mistake? Remember when Michigan's Fab Five
2: yeah called a timeout. Chris Webber called a timeout when, when they didn't have a timeout. I, that I was, love like, moments
1: like that. like that. Yeah, but this is like a synaptic misfiring on Fred Brown's part. Like it's like you can just see the brain just kind of like zzz, zzz, and well, passed, yeah. and like no.
2: And what happened was he he, he, he it. went to I pass can't. it to one of his teammates, and James Worthy cut in front of the teammate and and he held up and he realized okay I I it's going to the pass is going to be intercepted and then he looked back up the court and then turned around and then threw it right to James Worthy oh, as I if can't. he thought it was his teammate
1: <laughs> and you can see as Susie let it go he was like no yeah he goes after him oh god i love that's that's to me
0: that's like defines march madness are those moments and you look for him every year and the 80s had a few but my god i mean just I can only really imagine what it must have been like to be that team in the locker room afterwards. Oh, after uh,
2: devastated! And and again, uh, uh, John Thompson showed uh, the the thing I remember most about that was John Thompson, the coach of Georgetown, hugging Fred Brown. Yeah, I remember and just, that. Uh, and that was to me getting, was a like, defining. Yeah, it was a defining moment that. for John Thompson as well to show that he, you know, he was a gracious guy and a and a classy guy.
0: There's uh there's one moment that stands out in my mind probably more than all other uh, tournament moments. It's our next on the countdown list. The 1983 title game, Jim Valvano, NC State, against Houston, a.k.a. 5-7. This
2: is a really interesting strategy by Houston. They're aggressive now, not staying back. Remember, they have a team in there to block anything that goes inside. Down to 14
1: seconds. Oh, almost stolen by Drexler. Boy, is he good at that. They've got a drive to the basket. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way.
2: Done. This is a game, again, if if Villanova's the biggest upset of the 80s, this was the second biggest upset. Nobody gave North Carolina s- uh, State a chance to win. The only reason they got into the tournament was because they, they got hot at the end of the year and won the ACC tournament. Uh, and then Jim Valvano, the great coach, you know, it, I, the... the picture i remember is him running around the court looking for, somebody, looking to for hug. somebody to hug looking like,
1: for somebody to hug i love that yeah. but it was
2: one of those games where you, the whole game you're thinking nc state's got a chance here i can't believe they're hanging around and the next thing you know they got the ball with 15 seconds left yeah and they take a desperation shot with the score tied and, and there's no way it's going to go in and out of nowhere Derek wittenberg jumps up and <sighs> dunks it in and it was the only dunk at the game Somebody actually made a prediction before the game. The team that has the most dunks in this game will win. <laughs> well, they thought it was going to be five slamma jamma because right. like Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> God, the, the, all Olajuwon. Yeah, won. and all they were going to do was dunk all day. So it was a cute way of saying, well, the team that dunks the most is going to win because NC State didn't have anybody that could dunk. And that was the only dunk yeah. in the game. They were right. Is, isn't was. the big controversy on this as to whether or not
0: the shot was meant to be an alley-oop versus whether or not it just was a misfire. Yeah,
2: I think it was a shot. He was, he was trying to... He was a desperation but he to heave that, at the... Right. But you know what? The great thing about this game, this was 1983. I was a freshman in college, and I remember me and my roommates sitting around after the game, just all fired up, jacked up from watching this incredible upset. We said, hey, let's go over to the basketball courts. I was living on campus at USF. So we took a basketball, and three of us went over there, and we got over there and found hundreds of people playing basketball. And there were like six or seven courts, people waiting to get on to play pickup games. And we played till like four in the morning.
1: That's a great story. So was, inspired by the game. Yeah. Everybody yeah. just wanted to go play.
2: And everybody, that's, yeah, that's everybody great. was out there playing. None, I, of, none of us dunked, though.
1: <laughs> sadly, I
0: recall this as being the first time I ever bet on sports in my life $10. You took I, Houston
1: all yep, the way. <laughs>
2: <yeah. sighs> and then sadly, Jim Valvano passed away. Uh, not a few years after that, right. but from, yeah. from cancer, he,
0: he was really. I mean, if you talk about if if there was a symbol, a, a coaching symbol of the '80s, it, it always gravitates towards him. Not only because of that game, but because of what happened to him afterwards, and and his his words of wisdom, you know, was it never give up? Yeah,
2: don't ever give don't up. Don't ever uh, give yeah. up, right? And right. it was, and and he was a guy, you know, he was a, he was a New Yorker, and 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 then uh, he was living in the South at NC State, but everybody loved him. I, I agree with Steve. It's it, he was he was sort of the epitome of the of the college coach. Oh, uh, real
0: was character,
2: a great, great character, interview. Yeah.
0: Gosh. Great guy. Um, there's one other very eerie moment uh, to talk about when you talk about uh, memorable moments in college hoops in the 80s, and it was, of course, the day of the 1981 final uh, Indi- uh, that Indiana won, but it's better known for something else. This is an
2: NBC News special report. Here is NBC News correspondent John Chancellor. Good evening. President Reagan is in good condition tonight in a Washington hospital after several hours of emergency surgery. His press secretary, James Brady, is in extremely serious condition with brain damage. A Secret Service agent who was also shot is doing well, while a District of Columbia policeman is in serious condition with bullet wounds in the shoulder and the neck. And a young man accused of firing the shots was arraigned this evening. All the result of a tragic few seconds this afternoon outside the Washington Hilton Hotel, which we see in slow motion, when the assassins started firing at almost point-blank range. Well, I remember hearing that Reagan was shot. I don't know if you guys remember that day, but it almost sounded like it wasn't that big of a deal when Reagan yeah, was shot. Yeah. It almost seemed like he either wasn't hit or he was just slightly wounded. I don't think we realized until later how serious it was and, and, and how badly he had been shot and how close to, to dying he was. Uh, so I remember when they said they were actually thinking about canceling the game. You know, as a, I was a stupid kid. I was probably 16 years old at the time thinking, what? Canceled a game because the president got shot? Big deal. Let's, <laughs> let's play, you know. I us play ball. Yeah. And, and like I said, it wasn't until later we realized that that it was probably more touch and go. And, and maybe the NCAA made a bad choice of playing that game that night. Wow.
1: I don't think that would happen today. I think that game would be canceled. Yeah. I
0: think absolutely be I canceled. I think
1: with, um, I don't, I think that, you know, you saw with, I mean, it was a huge day, a lot bigger, you know, than the Reagan thing, but like, you know, 2000, um, uh, September 11th, you know, I just think now they... Uh, I, I, people cancel things for, you know...
2: It's funny, Pete, Pete Rosell, who was the uh, NFL commissioner back in 1963 when Kennedy was shot, he decided to go ahead and play games on that the Sunday following Kennedy's assassination and said later it was the biggest regret of his life wow. that he played games wow. so close to... Because he, he didn't realize the impact that that had across the entire country. And the same thing here, again, I, I think... You almost wonder if if the if somebody in the administration didn't want to let out that Reagan was a lot more touch and go than poss- than, than than people realized, and said, you know what, let's play the game.
1: Yeah, like a sign of optimism. Like a sign yeah. of optimism. Well, even
2: like, if you listen to that newscast right there, they they painted
0: a, a picture that was totally opposite of what the re- of reality was. I mean, the, you know, they have the president walking in on two feet and joking with the doctors, and everything's fine. It's no big deal. We removed the bullet from the lung. You know, everything's just, you know, just like another day in the life of Washington, D.C., whereas it would be uh, about a year or so later, it really became out that, my God, he was
2: at death's door. Right. And just the whole, the the whole, I just read an interview with Jodie Foster the other day talking about. um, Really? Was she talking about it? Yeah. And she talked a little bit about it. And it was just, you know, just that whole, that whole vibe. During the early '80s, you know, with the taxi driver and uh, right, and it was. It's pretty. It, pretty. It was I didn't pretty think irry. she talked about that. She didn't. She. She mentioned. Uh, it was an interview with Terry Gross that she did with. Oh, that's with cool. NPR. And it was. It was an old interview, but she talked about yeah. how she didn't really talk about it, but then she talked about it just a little. Well, bit.
0: for the for those who, for those of us who who didn't live didn't grow up in America, we're, we're obviously talking about um, Hinkley, John Hinkley, who. Took the shot at the president because he was obsessed with Jodie Foster and was trying to impress her.
2: Right, and 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 partly obsessed with her character in in Taxi Driver, in which another guy tries to to basically yeah, save her, her. her. Yeah, right. And and it turns into a then turns into a bit of a, a psychopath.
0: I wonder what would ever have happened. I don't know. If, I don't know if it ever did happen. I wonder if like Jodie Foster and Ronald Reagan ever had a face to face after that, where you you just kind of look at each other and you just say, you know, Jesus, what the f? Yeah. <laughs> You know
1: what the f, Ronnie? Yeah, I don't know. Had a beer, you know. Yeah, went, it's like I'm I-
0: sorry, you know, my bad. I mean,
1: what do you? <laughs> they knock. <laughs> yeah. What of do you knuck? say? It's
0: crazy, their names will be forever and you know tied together for that that date alone. Um, another obvious moment that is not a, ma- a March Madness moment of the '80s, but yet uh, just as equally tragic would be the uh, the death of Len Bias.
2: Len Bias, to me, was supposed to be the next. NBA superstar, yeah. and really, he was supposed to sort of take over the reins from Larry Bird with the Boston Celtics, and and this, and you know, obviously, it's much more tragic than than um, or Bias's death is much more tragic than what happened to the Celtics, but this it put the Celtics back. A decade. Yeah, and, I, grew,
1: it, I grew up in Boston, you know, and so I grew up with those guys winning all those championships. And uh, you know, Bird, McHale, uh, Robert Parrish—these guys were getting. Oh, they were still winning, but they were getting old, and they needed this infusion of uh, of talent. And uh, yeah, I mean, Len Bias was supposed to be the man out of uh, out of Maryland, and uh, and there
2: was no indication that any of this was coming. I mean, Len Bias was, by all accounts, th- the perfect kid who some will say never did drugs the night before, yeah. the night that he actually yeah, overdosed, a yeah, cocaine I, I overdose. Don't know about that. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I don't know about so you. Funny. I mean, we talk, we've talked before on the show about, about the drugs that we took in the 80s. And, and with Sean and I, it was just, it was just pot. And I, I, to this day, say it was the death of, of Len Bias that has forever scared me away from even considering the idea...
1: That's a great point.
0: ...of cocaine.
1: That's a great point. Like, I made that joke a couple shows ago about how I don't think cocaine humor is funny in movies, and I've never done that drug because I'm terrified my heart's going to explode. Just like I'm afraid to go to a Grateful Dead show because I'm afraid someone's <laughs> going to spray acid on me. I'm going to, like, try to <laughs> fly off the top of the stadium. Yeah, like, I think that's really, really smart. Like, I wonder, in the back of my head, like, the Len Bias was so startling to me as, like, a young person just thinking, like you know these gods these athletes nothing bad could happen to him and then and being like what the? yeah
2: heck? i mean what? this that's what i mean this kid was it wasn't he wasn't a bad kid he wasn't a kid who was a, a chronic dr- drug user for all we know and and he was in perfect condition he was he was good enough to be one of the top picks in the nba draft and all of a sudden in one night he can die
1: yeah, just- I'll tell you what, too. You know, I um, you know, I work to Washington D.C. and uh, I've been to the University of Maryland a lot of times, College Park, and I'm the the, the specter of Len Bias still remains there to this day. Wow, there were, yes. it still remains there. I mean, you know, all ESPN does all these shows and stuff like that, but Len Bias is still for these kids who are so many generations removed from that. His ghost is still there today. That is still a very, very serious topic. No, it is. And the ESPN,
2: you mentioned the ESPN. They recently did uh, last year this thirty for thirty documentary series where they're producing thirty documentaries. One of them was on Len Bias, and it was one I, of the better ones. That I they, saw that one. Did. It was like, yeah. yeah,
1: it was chilling. It was chilling.
2: equally chilling is the fact that his younger brother Jay Bias, who was
0: also a really uh, big basketball talent, was shot to death in nineteen ninety at age twenty um, in. Uh, Maryland and pronounced dead at the very same hospital where his brother had died wow and and to this day is buried next to him at the in a cemetery it's it's an eerie way that um in in so many ways that the 80s basketball is is you have these great moments of of triumph and upset and then you have these horrific tragedies i mean they go hand in hand
1: yeah i mean even going back over this list like early in the show i said like oh 80s it was the best time for college basketball but all these icons Right. All these, not just, and all these iconic moments, not just sad, but also, you know, you know really. And like it, it
2: really, it, it, the, the 80s were set up to be this decade of, of icons and great basketball and media attention. Because in 1979, some say the greatest college basketball game ever played, Larry Bird's Indiana State team against Magic Johnson's Michigan State team. And that sort of set the stage. College basketball changed with that game. Basketball, NBA basketball eventually changed because of that game. But the 80s were set up because of that game in 1979. You could
0: also argue that the 80s ended in a similar uh, dramatic fashion because with the beginning of the 90s becomes the beginning of the Duke reign and the UNLV reign, and basketball again takes a huge shift.
2: Right, right, and the Fab Five came in 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 the early '90s, uh, out of Michigan, and and really the '80s you know, you can almost look back it was almost the last pure decade as well. I mean, it, we paid attention to it, but it was a pure decade, and the kids stayed in school. You had coaching, coaches who who weren't leaving for jobs right. every other day. Uh, this was the last pure college basketball decade.
1: So last time Steve and I were pure. <laughs>
0: but I know something that's even more pure: the Saggies. Ah, by the magical refrain, it's time for Reader Mailbag, and today we received a very timely email from Mick and Sydney.
1: Yes, yes, our, our the Reader Mailbag is filling up again, Steve. Finally. Send your letters. We've been begging for letters. Last time we asked people to send their letters about jobs they had in the 80s. Cheesy jobs, right? Your first job in the 80s. How about you, Jonesy? What was your first job?
2: Uh, working as a night clerk at a pretty seedy hotel here in St. Pete. Really? Oh, what's, yeah. what's the name? Uh, the lamppost in, <laughs> <laughs> and I was told not to, uh, not to give out the rooms by the hour. And I said, well, if we don't give out the rooms by the hour, then we're not getting anybody to come. <laughs> no in No kidding! Yeah.
1: Wow, you must—that must have been an education. Yeah,
2: I was nineteen. What did I just wanted to go home? Did
1: and, you ever have anyone like any ladies kind of hit on you, try to throw some moves on you? No.
2: If I had, because i never had money.
1: You can make up stories on this <laughs> show. <if you laughs> want to make up. Anyway, well, here we go. This is from uh, Mick and Sydney. ...who is uh, formerly Mick on top of Mount Fuji. Hmm, let's find out what that's all about. Good day, Sean and Steve. Mick and Sydney here. Well, I was listening to my first podcast after being back from the holidays. You mentioned you wanted some stories of pain and how you can fix them. Well, I have one that's sort of a pain, and you did unknowingly fix them. A couple weeks ago, I was on the lovely island of Malolo, which is off the west-northwest side of Viti Levu, the main island of Fiji. Uh, My apologies to Fiji if I'm butchering (laughs) these names. I was having a lovely dinner with my wife, Sally, and we had a babysitter looking after our three kids, Ethan, eight, Cooper, six, and Abby, nine months. Um, Yeah, I don't know if you really want to trust those babysitters in Fiji, you know, or maybe. Where do you get a babysitter in Fiji? Three cool names for the kids, though. I know, Ethan, Cooper, and Abby, I like that. Uh, it was a lovely night out on the main deck, 25 degrees Celsius, with a gentle breeze, and the dinner plate was just set down in front of me. I then heard someone from the resort come out and say that there uh, was a tsunami warning and mentioned about how the poor people of northern Japan had been hit hard. We were told we were going to evacuate to a mountaintop that was behind the resort at midnight as it was expected to hit the island at 3.30 a.m. Wow, that's terrifying. At the top of the mountain, there were tarps down and cushions from the pool chairs, so we at least had a place to stretch out on the ground. My wife and kids were quite upset at this point, but we once, uh, once we had sat down had some water, I got my brood to calm down and get them to realize that we were totally out of danger up this high. Once they were asleep, I pulled out my iPod. What? And cranked up a few episodes of Stuck in the 80s. Don't really remember what ones they were due to the stress, but I think it was... <laughs> The hair metal one, one that had XVGF, uh, Hello Steve, and a few others. Uh, In between each episode, I checked through the FM radio on my phone with BBC World on uh, to see what the current news was on the tsunami and see what we were up for. Needless to say, by 4 a.m., I knew we were going to get hardly anything at all, and we ended up heading back to our rooms at 6 a.m. But I must say, the sound of Sean and Steve's witty banter... Helped me through what looked like was going to be a very difficult night or days and helped me keep awake to keep an eye on my family. I hope nobody around me could hear me chuckle as they would think that I was losing it. So I just want to thank you guys for helping an extended stuck in the 80s family member in the South Pacific, <clears throat> even though you're all the way over in Central Florida. Thanks, dude. Bula Vinaka. <laughs> 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 Bulivanaka. Oh well, all the best and see you later, dudes. Mick in Sydney, formerly Mick on top of uh, a mountain in Fiji. Wow, wow. The tsunami we helped d- him through a, a very difficult time. I, I
0: can't even imagine it. Like, tsunamis, they say, can't hit us here in Florida because of the topography that we're tsunami safe. It's like the one natural. If disaster. a tsunami
1: wants to get you, it'll get you.
0: <laughs> no, I, I heard some. I, I know we read in the paper that we can't have one here. I mean, of all the natural disasters we can have, that's the single one that we can't
2: have. And that's And that's, the, that's really it's the worst one. I mean, you can, yeah. tornado, you can sort of get out of the way of. I uh, could
1: probably outrun a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Duck and weave. Look out. You're like Bill yes. Paxson or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right.
2: But, uh, but, but, and hurricanes, you, you know they're common, but tsunamis, it's like, you got three minutes, you better move.
0: Yeah. You better have a helicopter. So yeah. You better have. And a license. It's
1: chilling. It's chilling. Well, I'm glad you I always think I can, I, I can, like fool a tsunami. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not like, a snake. You know, it's like when you <laughs> Look, go. <eat> a squirrel. <laughs> you know, it's like when you go to the beach and you go under a wave and you ride out a wave. Right. Like you know, it's, yeah, it's chilling. It's chilling. Well, there you go, Mick and Sydney. Thank you very much. What's happening, hot stuff?
0: Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. We'll play a snippet of a movie from the '80s. If you get it right, glory is yours. Uh, you ready for last week's clip? I am. If someone appropriate, here we go.
1: Uh, we're way past big speech time. I, I want to thank you for the last few months. It's been very special for me.
0: Yeah, that's Hoosiers. By far,
2: easily one of the top, what, top three sports movies of the eighties. I just recently did a thing on best sports movies of all time, but I broke it up by sport, but by far the best basketball. I'd have it in my... I'd have a third on my list behind.
1: One on one with Robbie Benson. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh talk- yeah, at
2: it. Six pack with Kenny Rogers. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awful. They're, no. they're supposed to be remaking that too. Oh, uh, really? Uh, I wish they'd remake one on one. But you know, here's, this is an interesting question. There are no, as far as I know, college basketball movies in the 80s.
1: No. What was Blue
2: Chip with the 90s. That was oh. in the
0: 90s. No, you're right. That's still my favorite, Blue Chips, as far as college basketball. Well, I don't know. Was it Glory Road? It's not bad. Here's my th- thing: What is college? Is basketball a hard sport to make a it movie is. about?
2: It must be because there aren't even that many. There, I think football. There, there are more football, and I think per capita, <laughs> football has the best. Really? Yeah. Over baseball? Over baseball. If you think yeah, about it, there, you, there are some really bad baseball If moves. you're a
1: filmmaker, can't you cheat a bit in like, football? You can put a helmet on somebody like, here's Warren Beatty, like in Heaven Can Wait. Warren Beatty throws an 80-yard pass, but it's actually like Fran Tarkenton in there. I mean, other like than that. A, that. But basketball, you can't fake right. making like somebody look like they're really, really good at basketball.
2: Even in Hoosiers, the only reason it worked kind of in Hoosiers is because it was sort of old-time basketball.
1: Yeah. And and but the you set shot.
2: Yeah, Some yeah. of those
0: guys were real basketball.
2: Yeah, they were, but they they didn't it, it didn't look anything like the game is played today. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit you could almost see it how it was how it was staged and everything. But I uh, Hoosier's is third on my list behind Bull Durham, which is number two, and slap shot. Oh, you're work. doing
1: all time sports. Yeah, yeah all yeah, you know, yeah. My
2: problem with Hoosier's is that the
0: whole romantic you yeah. know side plot between Gene Hackman and Barbara, Barbara Hershey, Hershey is totally
2: unnecessary. Right. It adds, it's, it's even creepy. Right. And Yeah, it almost seemed inauthentic, too. It's almost like mean, she really – we didn't need for her to let us know that he was actually a good guy. We already knew that, that he was a good guy who made a mistake. We, we, we didn't need the, her validation for it.
0: So. Yeah. So So as much as I wanted to pick a college
2: uh, – the only one I can
0: think of – I can't even think of a basketball movie. I, the Fish You Saved Pittsburgh was about right. a TV movie, and that was about pro basketball.
2: Right, and the only reason that I know anything about it is because I'm from Pittsburgh. But yeah. no, not very many good – yeah, you know, the, the White Shadow was a good TV oh, show. I Love
1: that salami, but but
2: no, <laughs> but no, you're right. There, basketball. It must be something that that's just difficult to film.
0: You know, weird.
2: But football, you like I said, it's hard it's to easy. find a bad football movie, and not only. Aren't they aren't they? Any given Sunday, love any given Sunday. Any given Sunday is Sunday. really awful. Awful. Oh, I awful. Love it. all the all the right Un- moves, tremendous. Hell heaven yeah. can wait, tremendous. I love Heaven can wait. I can't believe The blind side, tremendous. I mean, you go on and on. There, it's hard. And the best one, North Dallas 40 is the greatest football movie. Yeah, But what about I mean any,
1: unnecessary roughness.
0: I love the unnecessary roughness. <laughs> it's a total guilty pleasure. <laughs>
1: What's that one with uh, Keanu Reeves? That was a good football movie, too. The replacement. The replacements, I yeah. enjoyed that. I found it to be delightful. Yeah, the, the, the only ones that aren't good are the
2: ones with the donkey that kicked. Footballs Ed, the yeah. field kicking.
0: What?
1: That's great. Disney. Come on, man. Come on, You're
0: man. You're such an the apologist the kids- for Disney. <laughs>
1: talking about you get a check
0: every time you say their (laughs) name just read the winners
1: this week's winners include kevin wench jeff in germany captain pittsburgh dr dim and andy in north texas who writes my junior year of high school my basketball team made the playoffs for the first time in 15 years we played at a junior college gym and our coach actually got out the ladder and tape measure just like normandale and measured that the goal was 10 feet high and 15 feet from the free throw line Pay attention, here's this week's mystery clip. We have come to ask for the sacred cross dagger of a jaunty.
0: If you know it, email us at stuckinneedies.tempay.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Yeah. Ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. Pay attention, here was last week's mystery clip. Oh, no, That's Be Good Johnny by Men at Work.
1: I only like dreaming All the day long And no one is screaming Bigger, 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 bigger Bigger, 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 bigger Bigger, 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 Love it. Have it on vinyl.
0: First video I ever saw on MTV. No kidding. Yeah. What? Back in the day... um, I didn't have cable at my house And so my mom went to co She worked in like a nursing home And she got them to tape Six hours of MTV at a time <laughs> And she'd come home And bring them to me on tape And the, I put the first tape in And boom, Men at Work First time I'd never seen them before Never heard of them before That was my introduction To MTV and Men
2: at Work That's my favorite Men at Work song What? Yeah. Uh, overkill. Dude, no, overkill No, overkill
1: no. It's a mistake
2: uh, Overkill
1: Overkill's great You can't yeah. even touch overkill <laughs> Yeah of Johnny, How that's like d- saying d- like... D- I
2: just crack up every time Dr. he's here. You sure a weird Jive kid is your favorite <laughs> network You sure are a weird kid, Johnny, but I like you. That's my favorite part of it.
1: Okay, uh, winners include Tony Green, Jeff, Two Sheds Young, Major Bedhead, Jim Withers, Phil from Adelaide, Dave Featherston, Becky Ribello, Mr. Paul in Wisconsin, The Ronster, Jessica Seda-Ruiz, Troy Sag in Tulsa, Carol Jansen, Don in the Sticks, Tim Still, and... Balbo, I'll be your golden boy Baggins. I
0: have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Balbo's off the deep end.
1: <laughs> Balbo Baggins.
0: <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at stuckyoneys at com.
1: If you're not ready to give up on mullets and Madonna, log on to Stuck in the 80s, just one of the many blogs you'll find at TampaBay.com, the website of the St. Petersburg Times. Relive the music, movies, and culture of the greatest decade ever, only at TampaBay.com. All is it there you are, you're running for your life, you're a shooting star. And we're back. I got to say, for as much as I love college hoops, and I admire the men and women at CBS Sports for giving us uh, March Madness, the worst song in the history of songs is One Shining Moment. If
2: you just listen to the song. <sighs> the
1: ball is tip,
2: <laughs> If you just listen to the song, yeah, it's the worst song ever. But if, you look at, if you're watching the clips... Of Derek Wittenberg dunking the basketball or Michael Jordan hitting the shot to win the national championship. Then all of a sudden it becomes a cool song. When no, Florida when Florida went back to
0: <laughs> Florida won back to back national championships this decade in basketball, and I went to Florida and I that to me that was the most bizarre thing that ever happened. And I guarantee you I cried like a baby watching One Shining Moment with clips of
1: One Shining Moment you reach for a star oh god it's so bad it's like up with people crap it's really terrible come on I- Syracuse won the national championship the, the-, the night it- I-, I found out I was having my first child and alright I was a new dad my team just won the national championship and that song still sucks. no it didn't still sucked.
2: That you watched it and you teared up I guarantee you no it. I didn't if your team wins the national I- championship it's an okay song if you lose you hate the
1: song I was surrounded by beer bottles what to expect what you're expecting
0: this song this song
1: sucks it's 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 a piece of americana oh my god Spears. we were listening to it the other day at our desk i said you're you're like my god this is the worst song ever but you know
0: what something happened since then that stupid rebecca black song friday has come out since then and that is now the worst song ever recorded in history um one shining moment though Was recorded was was first conceived in 1979 during that fantastic uh, final with with Larry Bird, written by uh, David Barrett, and um, it kind of bounced around for a little while and it landed in the hands of CBS and when CBS took over, the um, March Madness it was in 86.
2: Yeah, right. And and like I said, it's it's one of those things. If you it sounds yeah, I agree with you, Sean. It sounds really sappy, but when it's up as background music to these incredible moments. That we've just witnessed over the past month, and given and sort of dedicated our lives to over the past month, yeah. it becomes not so bad. It's been. Josie, re-
1: Josie's an apologist for all that. <laughs> you're an old softy, but you're also one of the best guests we've ever had. That's it's true. not the very best. That's
0: true. You're a Jim you. Valvano. Please don't die on us. <laughs> <laughs> don't quit. Don't ever give up. That's what, we're, that's what we do. That's the motto here. At stuck in the eighties. So along with Tom Jones, Sean Daly, a cast of thousands, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties.
1: Win or lose, you always did your best, cause inside you knew, that one moment you for the sky. Stuck in the
2: 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for the music for the opening credits. Read our blog at TampaBay.com slash blogs 80s, and don't forget to subscribe to the show at iTunes.